said, he has overcome the world. And then he said, uh, yeah, the devil's out there, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, the problem we have is I can't get rid of me much as I like. And this last verse, I love it. Leave no unguarded place, no weakness of the soul. Take every virtue, every grace, and fortify the whole, that having all things done and all your conflicts pass, you may overcome through Christ alone and stand, stand incomplete, uh, stand incomplete. New dentures are coming. Anyway, we get to stand complete at last. That's what I was trying to say. All right. Um, amazing that uh, reminding ourselves where the battle is. And we talked about that in Sunday school, and we're still speaking about this as Jesus is giving us a tune-up on understanding what the Old Testament law was about. In Matthew chapter 5, if you get there with me, Matthew chapter 5, this Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus, the king who has arrived, and the Jews are being instructed by Matthew to understand who he is, and he stands up and says, okay, you have heard in the past, it has been spoken in the law, it has shared, you know, and he says, listen, there's some things that you guys understand from the history of God's law, but you're not getting the entire picture. And he's saying, listen, it's not so much about an outward appearance, it's about an inward change. And that's where this struggle, that's where this whole battle issue comes in, is you and I need to make sure we put on that armor that we are protecting our own selves. Um, churches nowadays and religions nowadays spend a lot of time thinking about what somebody else needs to do. Okay? Even good churches like ours in the past have had uh, preachers and uh, people who say, well, let me tell you what's wrong with so-and-so. I like uh, Mark Lowry used to talk about it. There was a bumper sticker that says, uh, hate the sin and love the sinner. Right? We used to see a bumper sticker. It's like uh, he stood up one day and says, you know, I have, I have more trouble and I, I'm busy enough hating my own sin than to walk around and pick out everybody else's sin. And that's the issue. If we would deal with ourselves, and Dan again said it this morning, uh, if uh, those six things that uh, Paul pointed out to Timothy, if we could master just those six things, we can come pursue something uh, later. Um, it's an amazing thought. If we would focus on our own selves and our re representation of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, God could use us in an amazing way. So with that in mind, let's look at the... Uh, We'll have a little bit of review, and then we'll jump on the next point this morning. All right? Again, we are looking at the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law continued. Jesus keeps saying, listen, you know, you heard in old times, this is what the Old Testament said. This was the actual specifics of the law, but you're missing the spirit of it. All right? So let's keep going. Just a couple of things by way of review. God is more interested. You should be able to quote this one now. In you being what he wants you to be than doing what he wants you to do. There are tons of churches right now filled with people who just do what he wants them to do. But are they really the person he wants them to be on the inside? God wants to change us from the inside out. Okay, remember Romans 12, 1 but verse 2. Be not conformed to this world. Don't force a set of standards on yourself, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God wants to make us different from the inside out. He doesn't want to make a better me. He wants to put me aside and have Christ show through me. Okay, that's what he's interested in, and that's what Jesus is focusing on. Yeah, you got this Old Testament law, but you guys are just structuring it, checking off a couple of boxes, but you're not working on your own selves. All right, keep going. Matthew, Jesus said, For I say unto you, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, and Jesus is saying, listen, these guys who live every bit they can of the law, you have to be better than them. And the issue is, we never can. The law wasn't designed so that we could keep it. The law was designed to remind us that we can't. Okay, we got to do something different. So, righteousness is not achieved by keeping the law. There is only one way we get righteousness, and that is through our Lord Jesus Christ. Next verse, right? He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. Man, if there's a few verses that are my favorite in the Bible, this ranks up there, okay? One of them is, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. That's Titus chapter 1, verse 2. God makes promises, and he always keeps them, okay? So you understand that, and then add this one to them. Where God says, I can take your sin and exchange it for the righteousness of Jesus. If you would just put your faith and trust in him. What an amazing opportunity that is. Uh, awesome. But, said this again, we're repeating this. Only someone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ can achieve any of this righteousness. Right? Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Okay? That just And again... As we walk out in the world and we explain our faith and explain the Lord Jesus Christ, don't go out there thinking we're something special and preaching it this way. Because, again, if we're not careful, well, we're righteous and you're not. Okay? Uh, no. The only way anybody could achieve righteousness is because Jesus wants to make this exchange. Okay? Jesus has provided a way for us to have righteousness that ex exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. But not if we don't take the gift. Here's the exchange. Okay? Um, awesome. I just love it. One of my favorite verses. How do I know that I can be right with God? Because my sin was taken by Christ and he gave me his righteousness. What an awesome thing. Am I going to mess up? Yes, I am. But am I ever going to mess up enough to cancel out the work of Christ in my life? No. Because his righteousness is eternal, it's everlasting, it's bountiful, it is immeasurable. And that's the exchange. Now, does that mean we go out and continue to live like that? Eh, I wouldn't. Because God says, like a heavenly father, he'll give you a spanking if you're not going to act right. But man, I love the fact that we can go out into this world and say, listen, um, I'm content, I'm, I'm happy, I'm safe with the Lord. Not because of my righteousness, but because he exchanged it. And as much as this mess of a life is, I trust that he exchanged all my sin for the righteousness of Christ because he makes promises he always keeps. Amen? All right, let's keep going. We took looking at, we're right in the middle now, of looking at the six illustration that Jesus uses on the Sermon on the Mount to remind us that the Old Testament 
law and the Jews at that time were taking this out of context. No, they were applying it to specifically and not understanding that Jesus didn't come to destroy the law, but he came to fulfill it. There was more things that they were missing. So we talked about killing, and we talked about the fact that it's not just taking a life. That Jesus said, if you hate your brother in your heart, as a matter of fact, if you despise your brother, as a matter of fact, if you look down your nose at somebody and think you're better than them, that all qualifies to the heart of that. Jesus said, if just because you didn't choke the life out of somebody doesn't mean you're all set with that commandment. There's much more to it. We talked last week about adultery. That God says, listen, it's not just having a physical relationship with a member of the opposite sex that breaks this. Okay, This is not only a sexual thing. This is if you are looking at something in lust. And we talked about another person. Okay, But God tells us over and over that you are drawn away and enticed by your own lust. Okay, we are all going to be tempted, but what do you do with that temptation? So God's saying the same thing. Listen, this is not about, hey, I have never touched another woman in my life. Okay, that's good, but that's not the fullness of this commandment. If you're lusting after something, and you're letting that temptation push you to violate what you know is right, then you're messing up this law too. Jesus said there's so much more to it than just checking off a box. Never touch another woman. Because that's what the Pharisees were doing. I ain't never killed nobody. I'm, I'm holy and righteous. I've never touched another woman. I'm holy and righteous. And Jesus said, listen, inside you are like dead man's bones. Okay. Well, today we're going to be looking at something a little bit shorter. But still, there's good information that we want to talk about here. So if you'll look with me to uh, verse 31 of chapter 5, we'll read this and then have a word of prayer. It has been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her, that is divorced, committeth adultery. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for the Lord Jesus explaining more to us about the spirit of the law, about how he wants the change of a heart, not just a forbidden action. Father, he wants us to be transformed from the inside out. That is a mark of someone who is a follower of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we're going to look at some truth today. I pray you be with my mind. Lord, help me to share those things that will help us understand this. And Father, give, uh, give us the ability, each one of us, to see what we need to do differently. This is such an amazing picture of a wonderful relationship that you have designed from the very beginning. And Lord, it is something that is sacred, something that needs to be cherished, something that is so much more than just a piece of paper. And Lord, uh, it is a rally cry for us as we go into this world and share the gospel of Christ. Lord, help us to have understanding this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are looking this morning at what Jesus said, whosoever shall divorce his wife, okay, let him give her a bill of divorcement. And then Jesus says, okay, wait a minute. 
Now again, let's just look at Israel, the Jews at this time, the scribes and the Pharisees. I have been married to the same woman for 50 million years. Aren't I special, God? Okay, and for some of us men, we might think we need a, a couple of trophies. Oh, I'm saying, I know, ladies, you deserve the trophies, but what you understand the point? I ain't never killed nobody. I'm all set with God. I'm righteous. I've never touched another woman. I'm righteous. I've been married this whole time. I'm righteous. Or I've divorced a woman if I didn't like it. I'm still righteous. It was all a check mark about I've carried out the activity that I'm supposed to. And Jesus is saying, you don't get it. So we're going to look a little bit in the Bible about defining this marriage versus divorce. And it's something that needs to be looked at carefully. Okay, because there are people in this world who certainly have gotten this wrong. But there are people in the church who have gotten this wrong as well. And I want to make sure that we kind of set the tone right. Because by the time we're done with this and we realize what a special, amazing illustration this is, it just changes the way we look at this. All right? Let's keep going. Jesus is teaching that marriage is an extremely sacred relationship. It is not to be taken lightly or sampled to see if it works. This world today, eh, we got married. Six months later, we got divorced. It just didn't work out. What is wrong with you people? Okay, It is such a twisted idea of what God originally designed. And again, as a commercial, uh, when people talk about who should be marrying who these days, God is the inventor of marriage. You ought to go and see what God thinks. Okay? If not, don't get married. If you believe we came from a rock which came, made a snail, which made a monkey, which made you, and there ain't nothing that really defines marriage, then why are you fighting to redesign what marriage is when it's invented by people who believe that God invented it? If God is the definer of it, you just came from a snail to a monkey to whatever, do whatever you want, but don't try to come back upon us in marriage and try to change what the definition is. Marriage is defined, even if you are not a believer in God, even if you are a crazy person who thinks you came from a rock. God is the one who is attributed defining what a marriage is. Don't go ahead and say, well, you know, uh, that's not right. We want to make marriage this or that. Do your own thing, but don't try to change what God made. All right? Sorry. commercial there getting a little testy all right marriage and divorce marriage is the most important human relationship that a person can have now again i didn't underline it but i probably should have human relationship the most important relationship that you can have is with god okay and that's what we talk about all the time god created us to be in a relationship that old adage where it says there's a god-shaped hole in everybody's life that god wants to fill Okay, that is absolutely true. We are created for a purpose, and that is to glorify God because we have a precious relationship with him. If you are listening to this on tape, if you are sitting here today, whatever, and you are wondering what the purpose in your life is, and you're struggling because you think your life has no purpose, I'm sorry to hear that because if you are a believer in God and have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have a purpose, and it's an awesome purpose. 
There's a creator of this amazing universe and each and every one of us who wants to be in a daily walk with us and our job is to relate to him and praise and glorify his name in this whole universe. What an amazing purpose. Okay, and all the rest of the stuff just falls along the sides of where it fits. Where you work, what your family is, where you live, all those things are icing on the cake of we're here to glorify God and have a relationship with him. If you're struggling with a purpose in your life, realize what your purpose is. Okay, but the second most important relationship, the most important human relationship that we have with one another is with husband and wife. Okay, um, you get to choose that one. You don't get to choose your parents. You don't get to choose your children. I mean, if you adopt, you can, things like that. But I mean, in the big relationship, you choose the one who you are going to marry. This is an important thing, and you are making a commitment. All right? Keep going. Matthew chapter 19, verse 1 through 9. Um, let's turn and read this, because this in Matthew gives us a little bit more understanding of where this is. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes two verses to explain what chapter 19, verse 1, is the thought. So Jesus, there's not a whole lot of detail in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is responding to, but when we read to Matthew, we'll hear why Jesus is saying what he is saying. Okay, because they come to him, of course, trying to trip him up, like they continually do. But chapter 19, verse 1. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. And the Pharisees came also and tempted him, saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Now, let that sink in for a minute. When we just read in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, I say unto you, there is only one cause that you can put away your spouse for. This is the definition of this. Jesus is being tempted by them because they're trying to quote the Old Testament law. And, okay, Jesus, uh, is it okay to put away your spouse for any cause? Every cause? I don't like the way she paints her fingernails. Divorce. My mother makes better meatloaf. Divorce. Okay, as much as, as crazy as that sounds, it was pretty pathetic. Because that's the kind of level that we were at. As a matter of fact, if you read the line that's behind me, okay, a Jewish culture, was necess- uh, uh, that all that was necessary to get a divorce was to give a writing of divorcement to your wife in, two or three ri- in front of two or three witnesses for any reason. You just went to the, to the temple and found a couple of witnesses, and you handed this paper to your wife and said, we're divorced. Divorced? Divorced. For any reason. Jesus says, you're not getting this. Now again, keep this in mind. Why? Imagine having these spiritual leaders, scribes and Pharisees, who strutted around declaring themselves to be the righteous, most righteous people on the planet, but they could just throw away their marriage for any reason they thought. And remarry somebody else. And they're saying, well, but, but, but the law of Moses. 
And Jesus is saying, wait just a second. We need a tune-up on this. Okay? So he says, for any reason. As a matter of fact, the next slide. In that culture, if you were a Hebrew, that was it. But in the Arab culture, all you had to do was say, I divorce you three times. You didn't even have to have a piece of paper. You just walk up and say, I divorce you, I divorce you. And she says, don't say it the third time. Please. I don't know. All you had to do was say it three times, and that was legally binding for any reason. And Jesus is saying, this is the most precious, the absolute most sacred relationship that you possibly can have, and this is how you're treating it. And it's just throwaway. Kind of sounds like today, doesn't it? Oof. Okay, anyway, God's plan from the beginning was one man and one woman. Hmm. Did I say that out loud? One man and one woman. All right, we're going to get canceled here. I'm looking to see if the cancel police are running in. I'm sorry, and this is what I talked about a few minutes ago. You want to go ahead and make relationships outside, uh, the, however you want to do it, willy-nilly, four or five of you, you know, whatever. Don't redefine what God called marriage. Call it what you want, but when it comes to the sacred right and the sacred relationship of marriage, it is between one man and one woman. Okay, you want to do whatever you want else in relationships and you want the government to support your relationships, that's fine. But don't try to backforce a de definition into something that God never planned. And what's very sad is there are churches in session right at this very point who call themselves Christians who will try to support something different than one man and one woman. Hogwash. That is ridiculous. Okay, God designed it from Adam and Eve, right from the beginning. And as a matter of fact, if you look into where the picture, which we'll look into in a little while, God designed this before he created the first molecule of this creation. He knew what marriage was going to be. Don't try to redefine it. One man, one woman, Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. For the Lord God, the God of Israel, saith he hateth the putting away. God hates divorce because it's so precious to him. Now let me finish reading in Matthew chapter 19. Okay, we stopped. I want to finish all the way to chapter 19 so you can see Jesus' response. <clears throat> so we'll pick it up um, in verse 3 again. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, saying unto him, Is it lawful? For a man to put away his wife for every cause. And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read? He that hath made them at the beginning made them male and female. Ooh, so now, <laughs> commercial, now we have man and woman defined as male and female. I'm sorry, I don't want to get political, but God is very clear on this. A male is a man, and a female is a woman. Anyway, sorry. God's word. Okay. And said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and cleave unto his wife, and the, they shall be twain, the twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, there are no, they are no more twain, but one. 
What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing for divorcement to put her away? Why then, God, if, if God hates this, if, if this is not God's plan, look at verse 9. And I say unto you, oops, excuse me, verse 8. And he saith, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wife, wives. But from the beginning it was not so. I say unto you, whosoever putteth his, uh, away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. Whoso marrieth her is put, uh, that is put away is committing adultery. So Jesus, again, in chapter 19, doubles down on there is one cause and one cause only that justifies divorce. And that is uh, infidelity, fornication, sexual sin outside of marriage. Yes? All right. I, I, I want us to be clear what the scripture says here. And there are churches around in this area who are dancing around this issue and changing it and it's because they are, may call on Jesus as their Savior and may have his name on their church, but they are not Bible-believing Christians. If you are a Bible-believing Christian, you cannot avoid this. Okay? Um, covered a couple issues there. I want to make sure we got them. Male and female, man, woman, and it is a sacred relationship that God hates when it's broken. Now, did God give a little bit of leeway, yes, he did. And he did it for a good reason, right? And it, it gives me goosebumps when I really think about what this means, okay? It's awesome. All right, um, it's never been his perfect will. Here's the, the verses we just read. Why then did Moses, so the law of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 and 2, here it comes, right? When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that he find, uh, that she find no favor in his eyes because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write a bill of divorcement and give it into her hand and send her out of his house. Now this is where they gather that every cause. Okay? It's kind of a little wide open there, isn't it? If uh, To come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, but he hath found some uncleanness. Okay, you've got dirt under your fingernails. I don't know what this means. Okay, it's a little vague. Some uncleanness. Well, again, because the Pharisees were so interested in the very technical letter of the law and not the spirit of it, they're like, oh, so if I find any little uncleanness, I can divorce her? Oh, hey. <laughs> All right. Okay. Man, if this law was intact today, babe, them same dishes was in the sink yesterday. And now they're still in the sink today. I'm going to give you one more day, woman. If them dishes are there tomorrow, divorce! Come on, what, is, what, is unclean, what does some uncleanness mean? Okay, you see again, Jesus is poking us down going, guys, listen, you've taken it to the very extreme. Well, I've never killed nobody. I've never touched another woman. Oh, she's got some uncleanness. And Jesus said, you guys are just missing this. 
You don't understand what the spirit of this is all about. This is such an important, sacred relationship, and they were messing it up. Keep going. When she departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. Now, I want this to be spoken here and within our church because there are some churches, some Bible-believing churches, some preachers and pastors I know who have a problem with this issue and say, once you are married, you are always married. Even if you get a divorce, you're still really, truly still married to that other person, so you can't go marry somebody else because you're really actually still married to that person because God doesn't recognize divorce. <clears throat> Wrong. God does recognize divorce, and this verse makes it very clear. She may go and marry and be another man's wife. Oh, what? You mean a, marry, a divorced person could go get married to somebody else? Yep. And there's more to this. Dan and I were talking about an amazing picture. You want to go home and read some more in this chapter? There's some other interesting stuff that God writes here about marriage. But I want you to understand, if we're going to correct this the way the world looks at it, we better correct this too the way the church looks at this. Okay? Divorce is not the end all of your life, which some people will try to tell you. Okay? And we'll cover this a little bit deeper with another verse in Jeremiah in a few minutes. Okay? But God very clearly here says, listen, if there is a divorce, that marriage is ended. And you are free to go marry someone else. Okay? Is that God's plan? Is that what he'd like to see? Of course not. But because of the hardness of your hearts, okay? And that doesn't necessarily mean I had a very good friend, and we'll use this verse in a few minutes, but he was an evangelist and was preaching the gospel and his wife fell away from the Lord and left him and filed for divorce. And he did everything possible to try to keep that marriage together. He did not want it to end. He, tried, he struggled. He, cried, he wept in front of me several times because he, he cherished his marriage and understood how important it was. But she walked off. And he had some moron in the ministry tell him that he shouldn't get up and preach anymore, shouldn't get up and do anything anymore because his wife left him. Careful. Marriage has ended. You can move on and God can still use you. Yes? Stay with me. Because if a sin, because divorce, guys, is no worse than any other sin we commit. If I can commit a sin and God can still use me daily, why would we say that a divorced person couldn't? God can use messed up people. If not, none of us would be here. Because we're all messed up. Some more than others. Okay. Keep going. Okay, marriage is one flesh. From the beginning, we read it in Matthew, Jesus himself saying, don't you remember how God designed this from the beginning? Okay. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. Something, again, that we don't necessarily understand, and I know I'm packing a lot in this sermon uh, on the re- outside. Uh, 1 Corinthians says, What? Know ye not that, one, that which is joined to a harlot is one body, for the two shall be one flesh? This is why, guys, and again, I'm looking around and don't see a heck of a lot of people this age, but uh, fornication, sex outside of marriage, isn't really outside of marriage. 
Because if you decide to have a sexual relationship with someone, God says you just became one flesh. Just like the marriage relationship. Because, folks, we haven't gotten it up. It'll be up there on the slide in a minute. It's not about a piece of paper. It's not about a piece of paper. Uh, It's not about a piece of paper. It's about your heart attitude and what you've done. This is all Jesus' point. It's not about the letter of the law. It's what are you doing from your inside of your heart? He said, you go out and be with a harlot. You just became one flesh. Same term he uses when people get married. That's why this sex outside of marriage thing, whether it's adultery or before you're married, messes with this extremely sacred relationship. Keep going. Divorce is like ripping flesh apart. It hurts. And, oh, we separated amicably. Really. I've talked to quite a few of us. And uh, it never works out painless, does it? There's always backlash. Uh, Several folks in Tumbleville, not here, have children from this marriage and children from that marriage and no children from these marriage and who gets what and where's Christmas and, uh, you know, all just angst and things just in that alone. There are consequences to it. That's why God says you're going to become one flesh. You ever have flesh ripped off? God doesn't use his language arbitrarily. He has a purpose for it. You just became one flesh. Okay, sex is much more than just a physical action. It is part of a sacred relationship that God has designed. Okay, it illustrates something spiritual and infidelity to that is, it just destroys the image. And we'll look at that. It's the opposite of it. So keep going. It's not just a piece of paper. Okay? It is sacred. And here it comes, guys. It is because it pictures the relationship between Christ and the church. It pictures the relationship between me and my Savior, you and your Savior. Right? Ephesians, husbands, love your wives, even Christ even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. We use that verse all the time, right? We ought to love the way Christ loved the church, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. Okay, he wants a bride in beautiful white, clean and pure. Keep going. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he should be holy and without blemish. You want to know why God says in the law in Deuteronomy that there should be some uncleanness? It wasn't an excuse to get a divorce. He's trying to say there shouldn't be any uncleanness without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That's the reason why the law was written that way. Not so you can just throw your wife away at anything. It's that the wife should be doing her best to stay without any such thing. They say, Pastor, what do you mean about the wife? It's a picture of the church. (sighs) 
just talked about it a minute ago. My God exchanged his righteousness and took my sin. So now I get to just sin as much as I want because his righteousness has taken its place. Any such thing. He wants his bride to be without spot, without wrinkle, or any such thing. You and I ought to be living as close to God's righteousness as possible. Sunday school, we talked about that we should be pursuing righteousness and godliness. Not, oh, hey, my sins are forgiven. <laughs> License to go do whatever I want. And God says, you're my bride. I want you to be as pure as possible. Now, I don't think I need to go into a lot of description about this, but I'm going to just say it anyway because it makes a vivid point of what God is trying to illustrate. Fellas, if you're going to get married and you find, and we're going to talk about this in a couple of minutes with another lady and gentleman in the Bible, and you know that um, your future wife has been around the barn a couple of times, Come on. Where you just say, oh, my wife, I know she never had another man. Or, oh, she's had dozens and dozens. Now, I know that's hard to think about and how we're going to preach that from behind the pulpit, but that's exactly what God is trying to use in our imagery. Uh, uh, well, that awkward conversation. And stay with me, please. If we miss this, we're not getting it. Uh, well, how many, before we were married, how many people did you, you know? Well, I don't know, how many did you? And if the list is long, you know how that feels, don't you? Come on, am I the only one who thinks this? Well, God says, listen, I want you to be as pure as possible. That's the imagery. So he makes an Old Testament law that says, listen, you're going to divorce her for anything because purity is the goal. Why? Because it's a picture of the church. We have this strange conundrum that goes on in churches that, well, God's forgiven me of my sins, and we got that, you know, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. And again, that, you know, Christian whiteboard eraser, you know, <laughs> as, long as, I, as long as I confess it, God's going to forgive it. And God's up in heaven going, man, I would love that you could wear white to our wedding. That's why this is the way it is. God is trying to push us for purity. <sighs> Last, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Did I get one more? Yeah, a little bit, one more slide for this passage. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. You are flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. The two shall be one flesh. Do you see the imagery here? God designed marriage from the very beginning because he wanted us to understand the precious relationship that we would have with him as his people solely 100 percent that other than the 
<coughs> excuse me, the fact that we are supposed to procreate and fill this earth, that he designed male and female. He could have just designed male and female like cows or dogs or chipmunks or squirrels, right? But he made something special for humans and called it marriage. Why? Because he knew the amazing sacred image that it was going to display later on as people understood this. You and I have a bridegroom, and we are his bride. And he desires most from us is cleanness, purity. But there's only one thing that he said can mess that up, and that's fornication, infidelity. And what does that mean? That you are not faithful to your spouse, whether it's beforehand or afterwards. Because again, if beforehand you two become one flesh, you've messed up the marriage picture right there. It's not something that is easy to walk away from without going, oh brother. Okay, keep going. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall join unto his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak of Christ and the church. Do you see from the very beginning, God designed this. We read in Genesis, a man will leave his father and his mother, cleave unto his wife. This is a mystery. This is something that wasn't revealed until Christ came and said, this is Christ in the church. This is the relationship that you and I have. Now, as much as that's like, oh, a lot of pressure, it gets better. Hang in there. Keep going. Okay, so what ends a marriage in the Bible? Uh, just a couple of quick ones. God says you can end a marriage, right? Marriage does come to an end. Okay, till death do us part. Oh, sweet death. I mean, uh, till death do us part, right? What ends a marriage? Number one, fornication ends a marriage. We just looked at this, right? Okay, not only adultery, any sexual infidelity with another person. Okay, um, <laughs> how to say this there are churches who will say that because marriage is between a husband and a wife a man and a woman if you had a relationship sexually with someone who is the same sex as you you're not violating the marriage because you didn't sleep with another woman sexual with any other person Okay, and I, I hate to say that, but in this world today, it's important that we bring this up. Well, you didn't go after another woman on your wife, so you didn't mess up. Eh, wrong. I, it, it's sick. It's a twisting in, of God's word. But it's important in this world today, in the culture that we're in, that we understand this stuff. It, it's sad to say. Hate to have to actually verbalize that in front of everybody, but that's what God's word is talking about. Okay, but I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication. That's what they're talking about. That's what Jesus just said. You can divorce your wife if she has committed fornication, sexual sin. Okay? Period. That's Jesus' point. Next. Death ends a marriage. Okay? How many times have we heard the vows? Till death do us part. If your spouse dies, you're free. Okay? Romans for a woman hath an husband and is bound by the law to uh, her husband so long as he liveth. 
I know some of you have got some plans in that area. Actually, okay. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So you can end a marriage by divorce because of sexual sin. A, a death ends a marriage. Or, last one. Oops, let me read the rest of this verse. <clears throat> so then, while her husband yet liveth, she sub and she marry another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband is dead, she be free from the law, so that she hath no, uh, no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Caveat, remember I said some churches will teach that you're still married to a person even after you get a divorce? Well, they'll take this verse and say, well, as long as the other, your husband still lives, you're married to him. There's no mention of divorce in this. This is strictly dealing with the fact that if you have a live spouse or a dead spouse, okay, has nothing to do with divorce. But some people will take this and say, see, as long as your husband lives, you're still married to him. No, okay, because divorce ends a marriage. And so does death, okay? And the last one. Un letting the unbelieving depart. Paul says, listen, some folks wind up being in a marriage where one is a believer and one is not. And the goal for the believer 100% is to honor that sacredness of that relationship. But God understands. But the rest I speak, not of the Lord. If a brother hath a wife that believeth not and she is pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not. If he be pleased to dwell with her, let, him not leave, let her not leave him. But, keep going, if. Oh, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, else were your children unclean. But now, are they holy? But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in that case, but God hath called us to peace. So if you're married to an unbeliever and you're okay being married, stay married. Okay? But if the unbeliever decides, I'm done, let him depart. God says that's another way a marriage can be ended. You can come talk to me later. I don't want to keep going. We'll be here for a long time where it talks about the husband and the children are sanctified by that. That doesn't mean they are saved, folks. It just means God has set apart something special because there's a believer there, okay? That God has done something, is doing something in that marriage and with those children. Does not mean that they are automatically believers because that would violate the fact that only through Jesus Christ and faith in him are you saved, okay? I'll talk more about that if you have any questions. Keep going. Got to get done with this. Divorce. It not, I lose good English. Divorce is not the end of your usefulness for God. Okay, typo there. God is a divorced person. And this is sometimes where people struggle and sometimes in churches that uh, you cannot fulfill what God wanted you to fulfill in your life because you've been divorced. Well, folks, God is divorced. Okay, Jeremiah and I saw, and you can read from verse 1 all the way on to get the context if you want. And I saw, for when all the causes whereby backslidden Israel committed adultery, remember, I have put her away and given her a bill of divorcement. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. 
because Israel played the harlot, she committed adultery on God, God divorced her. So all these folks out there say, oh, divorce is so terrible and it just, you know, you'll never be what God wants you to be. It's a terrible sin. Divorce is not a sin. Okay? Divorce is not God's perfect will, but it's not a sin because if it were a sin, then God's a sinner because he gave a divorce paper to Israel. You with me? There's quite a few things we have corrected in these last couple of weeks about God, that God can get angry. Anger is not a sin. The Bible says be angry and sin not. In Psalms, the Bible says God is angry with the wicked every day. It's what you do with your anger. Hey, here, God is divorced. Terrible to think about because God hates it, but how many of us like it? When we got married, didn't that, we wanted to be that forever married? I hate that phrase. Why did I say that? It's our forever home, okay? We wanted it to last. But God is divorced. He gave a bill of divorcement to Israel. Keep going. So, however, Christ is our bridegroom and will never leave us nor divorce us. Now, this is where it gets good, guys. This is where those goosebumps start coming up. Even though we're still sinners. That's why this picture is so important. That's why this marriage is such a sacred relationship. Because once you get in that relationship, husband and wife, bridegroom and bride with Christ, he will never, ever divorce you. No matter how bad you get it, his love is so great, he cares so much. We got to hit the road. Okay, keep going. Hosea. The book of Hosea is an amazing prophecy book. A lot of stuff there about God's judgment upon Israel and Ephraim. And, but it's an amazing book because God instructs Hosea to go marry a prostitute. That's his instruction. And God knows that she's going to continue to play the harlot. He says, I want you to go marry this scum of the earth woman, and she's going to continue to sleep around, but I want you to marry her anyway. Why? Because God is trying to paint a picture. And what an amazing picture. God was using this relationship to illustrate his amazing love. So Isaiah goes out and marries Gomer, Isaiah, Hosea, marries Gomer, and she continues to play the harlot just like Israel, just like you and me. Any of us reach perfection yet? I'm close. <coughs> okay, silly. All right, look at that. Keep going. So he says, look, listen to this. This is so awesome. After God instructs her, him to marry this harlot, God reveals this. Then the Lord said unto me, go, yet. Love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. God, are you serious? I mean, I'm Hosea the prophet. You want me to go marry a harlot? And God says, yep. And how are you going to do it? I want you to do it according to the love that I display with the children of Israel according to the love 
that Jesus Christ displays to us as his, as his bride. You think being married's hard? Yep. But God says it's a sacred relationship. And he instructed Hosea to go find one of the most base women and marry her to illustrate that no matter how bad she is, I will still love her. To the point where she had gone out and left Hosea again, she was going all over because she thought all these rich, wealthy men were taking care of her and giving her all these pleasures of the world and wealth and riches. Gomer left her husband and pursued the wealth of this world. What she didn't know, that as she went from man to man seeking to be cared for, it was Hosea that was providing for her, even when she was unfaithful. Look at this verse. For she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for, for Baal. Hosea actually went around. He loved his wife so much that he would find out what man she was with. He would take him aside and ask how she was doing and provide the things that she needed, give it to him so that he could bring it back and take care of his wife. That is the kind of love that God wants us to understand God has for us. I'll never be perfect. Well, that's not true. Someday. But as long as I'm walking here, I won't be perfect. But God wants us to understand he loves us so much that even when we don't see it, he's providing for us. Because how much of this world does God own anyway? All of it. Everything that I get, whether it's from a sinful relationship or something I shouldn't be doing, my job... It's all from God. And this is an amazing thing. He's saying, listen, all this riches and wealth and stuff that you've been seeking for, that you're thinking you're getting from these multiple relations with all these different men, God is saying, I'm the one who's providing that. Why? Because I want to display how the Lord loves Israel, even though she continues in sin. You want to go out with a message to this world? That no matter how bad they are, no matter how bad we are, there is a man who will love us beyond any understanding. He will never turn us aside. That's why this marriage relationship is so precious. It's so sacred. Not because we need to stay hooked up with the, that person we chose many years back. It is because it is an absolute vivid illustration of how much God loves us. He will never divorce us. Jesus Christ, we are his bride. And that is a guaranteed relationship. And as much as Hosea ran around and provided for his sinful wife... 
God still provides for us. Why? To illustrate what God's love truly is. Now, you want to go out in this world and tell somebody about how much God loves you? That's why marriage is so important. From the very beginning, from Adam and Eve, he said, I'm going to make a, a relationship between a husband and wife because I want people to understand how much I love them. And no, no sin can ever truly block us from a relationship. Yeah, we have to deal with the issue, but God wants everyone. He's not willing that any should perish. And even these people who are not believers right now, it is the hand of Almighty God that continues to provide them with everything that they need. Even behind the scenes when they're living this sinful life that they don't even believe in God. She didn't know that Hosea was going behind her providing all this. Yet he still was. How awesome is our God? She wound up becoming a slave. And you can read in the rest of the book, and they take her to a slave auction. At this point, these, not easy. Okay, these slave auctions were basically uh, less valuable than some farm animals. And they would strip you down naked and tie you to a post, and you would be gawked at by passers-by until somebody decided to bid on you. And there are stories that sometimes they would buy the slaves because it was cheaper to kill them and boil their flesh for the oils within them than it was actually to purchase the oils. That's how invaluable they became. That there was cattle worth more. So here she is. She's, you can read it. She's stripped down naked. And they're ready to bid on her. And guess who shows up to buy her back? Her husband. The one who's been providing all this for her throughout her sinful life. And he buys her. Man, if that doesn't sing of what Jesus Christ has done for us, nothing does. We were slaves. We were sinners. We were an absolute mess at the bottom of the barrel. And he comes and purchases us with his own blood. Don't ever underestimate what marriage represents. We... we demean that relationship and take this beautiful picture oh man that's what he did for us all right this is the love of god that he offers to everyone so god wants us to be committed in our relationship to our spouse the way that christ is committed in the relationship to the church now one thought to end with in this you're married i can't stand my wife or my husband well be glad you're not Hosea and Gomer. Could be a lot worse. And let me ask you a question. And this is the thing that really uh, freaks my brain out. Whether or not it's your choice of identification or your sexual preference or your, your sinful nature or your business you're in or whatever else. I'm not mine anymore, right? I'm bought with a price. I'm supposed to glorify God in my body and my spirit, which are God's. Which means if I got desires that go in a different direction i put those desires aside for christ if i get all those things i now live for jesus well when you look at your spouse and you go live for jesus 
I'm not saying you got to put up with everything and just you know take it. There's issues we need to do, but this relationship is that important that God pictures the fact that this man lets his wife run around and be a prostitute this entire time, and he still loves her, cares for her, and will buy her back when she's in trouble. I wonder how many spouses would do that today, or they'd be at the court right away trying to get divorce papers. This is how important God wants us to reflect this. This is how pure he wants us to try to be. This is how sacred marriage is. We say, you know what? I'm bought with a price, and my marriage to my spouse represents the fact that Christ will never leave me. I'm going to be married 63, 68 years. I'm going to stay faithful. Why? Because it is one of the ways that I can show how much God loves people. And people say, how do you do it? How do you stay married for 60 You know, I would love to hear someday somebody say, you know, because they say, well, you know, you just say yes, ma'am, a lot. Right? Happy wife, happy life. You know, get all these clues on how you stay married so long. Someday I would love to hear somebody say, I stayed married that long because my God will never divorce me. My God will never put me away. My God's love is so great that no matter how awful I can be, that relationship is that precious. That's why he wants us to represent marriage the way he does. Last little bit. Ah, the reminder slide. Where are you? The king gives his call. Keep praying that God would show you where you fit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so unworthy to share this message. There is no way my mind could actually comprehend what your love truly is. But Father, I thank you that you gave us your word, a picture book, illustrations to remind us who you really are. And so, Father, I thank you that the righteousness of the law is never what's going to get us where we need to be. It is faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior as he exchanges our sin for his righteousness. But, Father, you've illustrated this marriage, and Jesus here on the Sermon of the Mount is trying to show, show these people that it wasn't just about having a piece of paper. It wasn't about whether you honored your marriage or divorced it, that they were losing the idea that God wants purity and he wants this marriage to mean more than any other relationship in this world. Because there's a world full of people who need to understand that there is a God that loves them unconditionally. No matter how bad their sin is, there is a God who loves, would give anything, already does support them, give them everything that they need to survive, and has bought them with a price. That's the love that our God has for us. Father, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm hoping, as God has shown us through this Sermon on the Mount, that there's so much more than just a few rules and regulations and commandments 
that if we were truly to go out there and live the people that God wants us to be, we couldn't help but illustrate to people how awesome our God is. Go out this week, find somebody, try this week what I tried last week. I told you I was going to do it, and I got some weird looks, but good looks, when they said, how you doing? And I said, I'm content. And people go, well, that's good. Now go out this week and tell them how much you're loved. And not necessarily just by family or friends, but a God that will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen. Love you.